Hi there, my name is Maddie Miles, integrative health practitioner, female hormone expert, and founder of Peace Love Hormones. Our mission is to educate and empower menstruators to take back control of their menstrual health through education and through top quality functional supplements. And welcome to our amazing podcast show where we will uncover why your health may be struggling and how to heal your hormones and optimize the health of your entire body naturally. Now let's get to it. Hello, sweet friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you haven't already, go check out all of our many incredible episodes. But if you want to get a little taste of what we're going to be discussing today, I really recommend going and listening to my other episodes on cycle tracking, on the fertility awareness method, which you'll learn in today's episode, is a very generalized umbrella term for many different types of methods. So today I have Dr. Mona on with me. She is amazing. I was connected to her by another mutual friend of ours named Emma, and we're all, you know, passionate about the same things, right? Overall, women's health, women's reproductive rights, also menstrual health, the cycle, the infrading rhythm, all of the things, and we nerd out with each other, and originally I was hoping it would be around like a 30-minute episode, and an hour went by way too fast, and it is literally packed with such crucial and incredible information. Not a moment of it, it goes by where you will be bored or feel the need to hop off. Trust me, it's some of the most valuable information that women and menstruators should have. It's a birthright. So I really recommend listening to the entire thing. If you need to hop over to my website and check out the show notes for this, if you prefer to see things written out after you've listened to it, please do not worry about sitting down with a pen and paper. I got you the link to the show notes as well as all research studies and anything that may be valuable that we talk about during this episode and even outside of this episode will be linked up for you. So go over to the description of this podcast episode and you'll have it all. I'm so excited for you all to learn this, please share it with, even if it's just one friend who will share it with another friend, this information needs to spread like wildfire. So please, I'm so happy that you're here and grateful that you're here. And I hope that you join the movement as well. Before we get into it, I want to give you all some updates. So when I actually will release this episode, it will be July 6th. I hope you all had a beautiful long weekend. So some updates are if you live in the U.S. or Canada, Soothe orders will be shipping out starting July 26th. And I'm so excited. We will have graduated droppers this time. So no confusion on what two milliliters is for any of you who are not herbalist or not well versed with, you know, what the heck two milliliters is when you're using that type of tincture liquid dropper there will be graduated droppers so do not worry about it also we will be launching bitters our herbal digestive and liver detoxification support so please go check that out i was supposed to release a podcast episode on that describing what bitters is and how to use it to optimize your digestive health and detoxification and overall total body mind health and balancing your hormones but I thought that this should take precedent over it given everything that's going on we should always know this information again it should be a birthright but especially right now I would really love to provide this resource ASAP for everyone so the bitters episode will be released the following week but you know you can always hop over to our website look at all of the ingredients a breakdown of the ingredients for what each one does we have so many great descriptions and 
all of the things on our website. So you can always hop over to there. So before we get into today's episode, I want to read a recent review of Sue. There are a lot of recent ones, but I'm going to go ahead and read Kenzie. She is from Canada and she wrote, amazing. I'm super shocked how fast I felt a difference in myself. My PMS can get almost unbearable and my mind slash mood set is always off around that time. Since starting Soothe, I feel refreshed, positive, and energized. Really looking forward to the benefits in the next few months. This stuff is liquid gold. Ooh, I really like how you phrase that, liquid gold. Well, yay. Thank you, Kenzie. Thank you to every single person who's written a review. We don't pay for advertisements or sponsorships or anything like that. Everything, all the reviews and every, you know, time we run out of stock and every sale, it's all genuine and it's all word of mouth and through you all. So that being said, if you have consumed Soothe, if you could please leave us a review, it'd mean the world to me. I read every single one of them and it makes my heart skip a beat. I'm just so happy and grateful and just so humble that this is what I get to do for a living is to help women and menstruators. And also, if you are a frequent listener of our podcast, if you could also leave us a review for the podcast. Again, we don't pay for advertisements or views or anything like that. So to help bump us up in the ratings of Spotify and Apple. Your review, your star rating, and even a written review will really help to bump our podcast up so that all women and menstruators who need this information will have access to it. And even if you're not a woman or a menstruator, but you know someone who is, which we all do, it's really important that we all have this information. Accessibility is everything. Knowledge is power. And actually implementing it is really where we see true change. So I'm really excited that you're all here always, but especially for today's episode. So without further do let's get into it hello mona hello how are you doing i am doing so good super excited to chat today me too. So let's just get right into it. I already introduced you to everyone who's listening, and I'm really stoked, as they know, that you are on this episode today, and we're going to talk all about, well, the fertility awareness method, which is, you know, we'll get into it, and it's a, a very broad term. It encompasses various methods, and one of them being the symptothermal method, which we will get into today. And I'm really excited because I have a previous episode, two previous episodes, just on more of like the general like fertility awareness method and haven't really gotten into the symptothermal method, which is what I use and I know it's what you use as well. And I am just really stoked to give this information, which it should be information that we all have readily available to us from, you know, the moment that we're brought into this earth, especially when we start going through puberty and through our, you know, our menstrual cycle, our reproductive years. So before we get into exactly, you know, what the fertility awareness method encompasses, what the symptothermal method is, how we use it, blah, 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 I would just love for us each to share our experience with using this method because I think it can seem super scary to many people. I know that it was really scary for me before I, like, dove into it. So, you know... I think I I would really like us to discuss our personal experience with it and beforehand also just preface with, you know, it's life, right? Like everything in life always has a trade-off 
And I remind myself this, I remind people that I work one-on-one with, anyone who reaches out for support, etc., etc., that there's always a trade-off with everything. So, you know, with hormonal contraceptive, I remember I felt so secure on it for so many years, but at the same time, I also experienced a lot of symptoms. So that was my trade-off, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I, I felt really, you know, maybe it was a little bit false and a little bit truth, but I felt very secure that I wasn't going to get pregnant as long as I took my pill consistently and, you know, nothing, nothing happened on that end. But I felt really terrible. Whereas on the other side, the flip side of things, you know, for the last few years, I've been adopting the symptothermal method. And at the beginning, it did take a lot of learning and patience. Now it's something that just feels like first nature to me. But at the beginning, it didn't feel that way. But... The pros, the upsides to that were I felt more in control of my body. I felt more in love with my body and more appreciative of everything that my body does on, you know, a moment to moment, but day to day, phase to phase, cycle to cycle. And I was able to sleep. I had a libido. I felt, you know, more in control of my emotions, more in tune with my emotions. So, you know, those were my, the trade-offs were like, okay, a few months of really having to make this a priority and really focusing Mm -hmm. on it for the upside, the benefit of having this autonomy and this control and this freedom and this appreciation for the female body and anatomy and how everything is working as, you know, these incredible, fertile, beautiful human beings that we are. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I feel like I really resonate with that. I did. I was listening to one of your fan podcasts and I think you had said that you were on it for five years and I was trying to think how long I took it because I'll be, I'm 38 right now. And I started taking it when I was 18 and then I guess took it probably for close to maybe like 10 plus years. And I think it just becomes, I think what's confusing is it becomes so intertwined with with our lives, with our feelings and the changes are so subtle that even what I like felt in my own body and what I consistently hear from clients that I'm working with to get off of hormonal contraception and really start to learn fam and learn our own bodies is like how much we don't realize it affects us from our gut health to our mood, to our sleep, like weight. Like there's just so many things that we don't even see the connection until we start to like unwind and come off of it and start listening to our bodies. Because I first, um, actually it was one of my GI doctors that had recommended that I get off of it. And because I used to have really bad IBS and anxiety and we were kind of trying to figure out the whys and kept like not really coming to clear answers. And he was the first one, which I feel so grateful to him because he was the first one that, and you know, at the time I already had my doctorate, I was working in primary care. I had, you know, gone through years of medical school and training and that it just isn't something that's taught to medical providers for the most part. I don't know where he learned it, but I feel very grateful that he did. And he was the one that encouraged me to get off of hormonal contraception because it changes your gut and your microbiome, which I mean, you know, like literally affects all of the areas of our life. That's a huge root cause when we're talking about things that cause 
so many symptoms and I I was super scared, really anxious. I was in my early thirties and I still was like, I don't want a child. It's not part of my journey. I don't know what I would do if I got pregnant. And so I started researching methods. I tried the copper IUD for a while. It was really painful, like would like just cause like severe, like burning, stabbing pains. And I was like, felt like I was a teenager again, like bleeding (laughs) through like, you know, tampons and stuff at work. And I just was like, I can't do this. And so I ended up coming across the symptothermal method in my research of trying to figure out like what was effective that doesn't have hormones. It doesn't involve like consistent, like condom use. Cause I just knew I wouldn't be consistent with that. And that's really where I came across the symptothermal method and, you know, and all of my research and studying was like, okay, the way it's most effective is if you learn with somebody that is trained and educated. And so that was the path that I took to do that. And then really got into more like integrative, holistic, natural ways of healing my body. But I feel like the the capacity to then when we're, you know, not fogged or our like body connection isn't severed by having hormones disrupting literally what our body is trying to tell our brains, it just becomes so much more clear the areas where your body is asking for health, where it's asking for healing, where it's asking for support from you. And I feel like, you know, learning about your body, hearing, I like to call our like fertility biomarkers, our body's love notes, but really like seeing your body work for you, like hearing at like show you how well it's functioning or where it needs support. Like, I feel like that is, you know, the beauty on top of being able to naturally prevent or call in a pregnancy or just work on our hormonal health is like really becoming a partner with the temple that we were brought into the world with. Like, that's what we're, I believe, like meant to do. Absolutely. And I think on that note as well, you know, fertility, especially like the last week with everything going on Mm. and this just all being on my mind. I mean, it was already on my mind a lot, but truly this is not, it's been nonstop for the last seven days and just seeing, you know, and we knew this before, but just really seeing how fertility is seen as this illness that needs to be treated with medication. And I think sometimes with even the natural ways of tracking your cycle, people will just use it to conceive or to prevent conception instead of also adopting the other massive half to it, which is, yeah, just becoming more in tune with who you are as a human being and Mm -hmm. understanding why you feel a certain way when you do feel it instead of just blindly going through life. Why do I have a headache or a migraine today? I'm just, you know, going to pop a pill to make it go away within five minutes. It's like really just, it's going more slow with yourself, which trickles into every single aspect of your life over time. It's not something that happens overnight, but where I'm at right now today compared to a year ago, two years ago, et cetera, et cetera, it's like, it's only gotten better. And I feel like I'm so much more resilient to stress now. Like it's just improved my life way, you know, beyond the scope of just preventing pregnancy, which by Mm -hmm. the way, it's been very effective at (laughs) for the last few years I've been doing it. You know, I just feel so much more peace 
is the best way to put it. So, you know, I think before we get into this amazing, you know, topic and explaining how to do it, I, I just encourage every single listener who's tuning in right now to beyond, like look beyond the scope of just preventing conception if you do not want an unwanted pregnancy or if you're looking to get pregnant and you're really trying to nail down that fertile window where conception is possible to also look at this method as a beautiful thing that will help you bring you back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think of it really as like that invitation, like back inwards, because I think, you know, we spend so much of our lives in this very like masculine go, go, go world that it, we end up like fighting against our inner nature and those like inner patterns that are where we're meant as you know those born with uteruses and ovaries to really have that ebb and flow of like going slow going fast moving throughout our cycles and it's really that invitation to like turn back in and to like like you said it's like really just like learning to like notice to partner with your body instead of like constantly trying to resist and fight against what's not literally in our nature of like the cells and bodies we were born into. So beautifully put. Well, I could talk to you for hours just about how incredible it is on like a spiritual level. (laughs) It's I don't think it's something that I'll ever get tired of talking about. I'm sure you can relate to that. But I would I would love to just for you to get into break down the fertility awareness method and you know explain how it is it's an umbrella term, right? It encompasses various methods and then get into our favorites, the symptothermal methods specifically. Yeah. So like you said, so I think, you know, the term fertility awareness, fam, it gets thrown around a lot. And I think that that can be confusing for people because depending on what method you're talking about that changes how effective it is, if there are scientific studies done about it or not, how much newer and like more current research is related to that. And so I really use like the term fertility awareness based methods. So like it might be abbreviated as FABM, F-A-B-M as really that umbrella term that encompasses the different fertility awareness based methods. So um, I have a blog that I'll like give to you that we can link in that kind of is I'm a very visual person. So sometimes just listening or Same. hearing doesn't click as much as like seeing a graphic, but I'll give you a blog that I wrote that, you know, kind of explains what I'm talking about. But I think of the fertility awareness based methods as like that umbrella term. And then underneath that, we have these different classifications of what are we actually talking about? So I think of one of them as like our calendar or calculation method. So if you hear the rhythm method, I feel like a lot of people know that method, which is a super old method that is based on the false belief that we all have 28 day cycles. We all ovulate around day 14 and there's seven-ish days in the middle that we're going to be fertile, which we just know, like, if you track, that's not true. Our bodies are all unique and different. We enter our fertile time at different points. It looks different for each of us. So those like calendar or calculation-based methods, like the rhythm method are going to be just like not as effective. Mm -hmm. And then 
so I kind of think of like five classifications. And then one of them is like a lactation method. So lactation amenorrhea can be effective if people are following certain rules, if they're breastfeeding all the time. And then there's cervical fluid only methods. So methods that literally all we're checking is our cervical fluid that comes from our like vulva or yoni and what we're seeing there. There's symptohormonal methods. So sympto meaning that we're tracking different symptoms within the body. So typically a symptohormonal method is going to be a lot of people know. FEM is like one of the methods that you might see underneath that. I would say that's like kind of the most common one that I hear about. Um, or like the clear blue fertility monitor where we're checking cervical fluid, urinary hormones, like LH testing typically. And then there's the symptothermal method, which is what you and I both love and use. And that is where we're checking symptothermal. So we're checking symptoms and we're checking thermal or temperatures. So we're checking cervical fluid. You have the option of checking your cervix positioning. So the cervix is the bottom of the uterus or the bottom of your womb. If you kind of think of it in that way, that is up inside of the vagina. And then you also check your basal body temperatures. And what I love about the symptothermal method, like one, there's a lot of really great research and studies on it that tell us about its current efficacy. If it's learned from an instructor, if we follow their rules. So like, that's one of the things that I love is there's fantastic research to support it, which some fertility awareness methods don't have that. But I also like that with the symptothermal method, it's really easy to clearly identify when you're moving into a fertile window and when you're moving out of it. You know, I'm a certified fertility awareness educator and I've learned other methods like FEM, which is a symptom hormonal method. But what I found challenging about that as somebody that considered using it and as an educator is really it only tells you when you're coming into the fertile window and when you're coming into ovulation, but there's nothing to confirm that you in fact have ovulated. So that's why I personally really love the symptothermal method because it tells you when are you coming into the fertile window? When have you clearly come out of it so that you can make choices accordingly and like align with your choice of wanting to get pregnant or not wanting to get pregnant if you are fertile. And then you clearly know when are times in your cycle when you're not fertile and you can literally do whatever you want and it doesn't matter because you can't get pregnant. Boom. I love it. That was like beautifully said straight to the point. I feel like everyone listening is like very clear now on what the fertility awareness method, like what that term means and what it encompasses and all the different types. So thank you, Mona, for that. Beautifully put, so straight to the point. So getting into those measurements with the symptothermal method, can you just break down, you know, just break down each one of them and the changes that you see? Because as someone who's also been in this space for a while now and practicing it myself, all of the things, I still, you know, I see a lot of back and forth between people in this space. For example, for, you know, cervical position. And that's why Mm -hmm. I, you know, even just made a note that you did say optional because some people say that when you're ovulating or approaching ovulation, your cervix sits lower and other people say it sits higher. So it's been super interesting 
in this space to see, you know, people who I really trust and respect in like the women's health space, specifically the fertility space, having them, seeing them have completely different views on it. And I think that can be very confusing and misleading for the everyday woman who doesn't like to do this type of research or doesn't even know how perhaps and is literally just basing her cycle and her fertility off of one person, one coach's methodology. So can you get into, well, number one, like each of the three, and then, you know, while discussing like cervical mucus and cervical position specifically, why there is that discrepancy, why some people say the opposite of the other? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a good point. And I think this is why to me, it's so important to really research your sources to know if you are choosing to follow a book, like it, what is it about like that method that resonates with you? Is there, like I said, a lot of people will use a method like that's symptohormonal where you're doing LH testing that tells you ovulation is likely approaching. But I think it's also important to note that like, if you're using a method like that, like, for example, like I would say one reason as an educator, as a woman, as a medical professional that I don't like just the symptohormonal method is women that have PCOS tend to have more of a elevated LH at baseline or may have an imbalanced ratio between how much FSH, which is our follicle stimulating hormone and how much of the luteinizing hormone we have. So it can make it to where they can get false positives. There can also be false negatives. So I think really like it is important to spend time researching the different methods to understand what is different about them. And at the end of the day, to pick one person, one method, one book, one educator to follow. Because what happens is when you start following different things, like I think this is the um, the risk of like, doing a bunch of different research and doing things. And it doesn't, you know, if you're just trying to get pregnant or you want to understand hormonal health a little bit more, I don't think that that's as big of a deal. But if you really truly want a method that is highly effective in preventing pregnancy, which to me with all of the like Roe v. Wade stuff being overturned more recently, like that feels so important to me that people are really clear on what method, what rules they're following, and that you stick to that, that you know the efficacy of those rules, where the rules came from, why those are the rules. Like that to me is so important in learning and following a method. And that's where you will get differences because, for example, I've taken a couple of different fertility awareness trainings and different trainings will teach you to categorize cervical fluid different. You might hear that, you know, that cervix positioning is different. And so that's really method by method. And I think that's why when you're choosing what you do, like if you're going to self-study and use a book, like choose one that you've studied well, that you know where the facts and the efficacy come from and stick with that. If you hear somebody else explain it different, doesn't matter. It's not your method. That's not what you chose. That's not what you researched. That's not what your body feels good with. So I think it's some of it is really just being like, this is where I felt confident in how effective it was. And this is one that I didn't. So I'm just not going to listen to how people classify that. I'm going to listen to what I learned. I'm going to listen to how my body fits within that. 
And I think there's other methods too that, you know, there's certain methods that are cervical mucus only that can be really effective in certain times in our life when we're not ovulating, like if we're breastfeeding or if we have more anovulatory cycles. So I think really doing the time to research, to ask questions, if you do get an educator, like how can they support you if you aren't seeing what you think you should be seeing, or if you read something here, like how can they answer those questions for you? I think that's where it's really important and helpful. So in the symptothermal method, I would say there's a couple different like self-study resources that are great. Like taking charge of your fertility is a book that gets mentioned a lot in that book. She states what the efficacy rates are for her method as she teaches it with the rules. Since a plan is another um, like resource book that can be really good. I believe that they have the study rates listed in there that is based on like a German study where women learned to chart their cycles with an instructor. They had support from an instructor in the months following that learning process, which is often just like a way that we're going to become more clear faster in learning. And the method that I use, my educator, Sarah Bly, she owns The Well, but she really bases her teaching and rules on the study that is done by Petra Frank Kerman. And I can link like the efficacy rates for that, but it is with perfect use. If we're using it, it's something that is 99.4 to 99.6% effective. So that's huge. It's huge. Really like, you know, if we're looking at like IUDs, that's close to like IUD amounts, the pill amount. I was just going to say I have the article up on PubMed at the effectiveness of fertility awareness method based on, yeah, Frank Herman. So uh, P. Frank Herman, that's just, it's wild when you hear those numbers. I remember when I heard those, you know, a few years ago and I was like, well, that seems very comparable to the pill that I forget at least once a week. So well, and <laughs> actually better. Crazy. Exactly. Because when you say I forget once a week, that's so common, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is more that typical use of like, what do you typically do? Well, yes. we typically forget to take something. And so a pill's typical use is actually only 91% effective, meaning that one in 10 people are going to get pregnant when that wasn't their intention. Mm-hmm. And the symptothermal method, again, like based on the Petra Frank Herman study, is typical use is 98.4% effective. So still incredibly effective, way more so than the pill. Way more so. Nuvering, Depo. And you know what? This is what gets me, I think, so passionate and fired up sometimes, Mona, mm-hmm. is that, you know, so many women and menstruators are really scared of this, right? We're, we're taught to be really afraid of our fertility. And, totally. you know, it's really, it's just a slap in the face to us because, you know, I finally just sat down with myself one day when I was contemplating like, oh, should I really hop off the pill? Should I really do this? And I was like, you know what? I mean, and I was considering many things. It wasn't just this, but I just realized, you know, I'm such a smart human being. I'm such a smart woman. I know this information. I believe that I can do this. And that's what, you know, I just wish everyone could hear this. I wish we had billboards up everywhere and commercials and social media ads saying like women and menstruators, like we are so smart. 
the human race you know like we are smart enough i truly believe that if we just were given this information especially from a young age right like you know when everything is still really developing on a neurological physiological level if we were given this information and you know saw it also as beautiful something that we could ritualize every single cycle mm-hmm. uh, how just you know how better off all of us would be on from like a health standpoint a quality of life Totally. And it's, you know, I mean, it literally is our birthright as those like born with mm-hmm. uteruses and ovaries, like we're like meant to have this information. And it, I think like, you know, I think this is part of your passion. Part of mine is really like to bring this to light that this is like within your body, like very much within your reach, within your understanding to do this. If this is something that resonates with you. Absolutely. Okay, so can you tell us just the three measurements? Well, I guess the cervical position is optional, but do you mind just going over basal body temperature, cervical mucus slash fluid? I know a lot of people know it as cervical fluid and then cervical position. Yeah. So our basal body temps are, you know, I think literally those are like your waking body temps. So when we wake up first thing in the morning, ideally, this is something that we do in those early hours of the morning, because our bodies naturally are very linked to mother earth and whether or not we get out of bed at 10 AM, our bodies start moving in those early hours. So ideally like five to 7 AM we're waking up before we do anything. So before you get out of bed, before you take a drink out of water, before you kiss your sweetie, like waking up first thing in the morning, checking your temp, And doing that with a thermometer that is going to give you at least one-tenth of a degree. So that's like one decimal point. So like 98.1, for example, and writing that down. And so with our basal body temperatures, what that tells us is it gives us what is known as like a biphasic or a two-phase, two-part pattern. So before ovulation, our temperatures fluctuate day to day, but very slightly. And they will be in an overall low pattern before ovulation. And then after ovulation, they move into a higher temperature range, which is reflective of progesterone and the fact that we have ovulated. So as we're moving into ovulation, our body is developing and like preparing an egg that gets released. That part of the cycle is our low temps. After that egg is released from the follicle, which is like a fluid-filled sac within the ovary, once that egg is released, that little follicle, that sac that held the egg becomes this temporary endocrine gland that's known as your corpus luteum. And that makes progesterone for the remainder of our cycle. So that that part of our cycle after ovulation is our luteal phase. I know you have podcasts and a lot of education around the different phases of the cycle, but that luteal phase has those higher temperatures because progesterone becomes like the key player. So again, that's like part of how we know that we're, we have ovulated is our temperatures rise and they remain elevated until the end of our cycle and the next period starts, or they remain elevated throughout a pregnancy if we were to get pregnant. Beautiful. Okay. So the increase of, you know, approximately that 0.5 to 1 degrees Fahrenheit shortly after ovulation, 
and, you know, remaining consistent for 10 to 14 days during the luteal phase or continuing if you're pregnant. I have a question for you. So do you, you know, some educators out there, like your temp should be in this very specific range during each phase, right? Like, you know, I, I've seen it in a lot of books even about this. And it's like, okay, you're in the follicular phase, your temperature should be within this range. And then ovulation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you agree with that principle or do you disbelieve everyone is different, you know, based on your body type? Of course, there's abnormally low and abnormally high temperatures, you know, due to thyroid or illness, you know, whatever it is. But in general, what is your stance on that? Is it more of a thing like, you know, everybody is different as long as you have that increase of the 0.5 to 1 degree Fahrenheit, that's how you can confirm you've ovulated? Mm -hmm. So I would say like, this, it, it depends on the thermometer you use. So um, as we, I think we're going to like talk a little bit about like variances. So our temps are very fluctuant depending on what's going on. So some people's bodies are much more sensitive than others, but like where we sleep, the temperature, how we slept, if we were awake a lot, if we had alcohol, if we were traveling, if we have, if we're under a lot of stress, if our bodies are under inflammation, there's so many things that can affect our temperatures. And I think it depends on what the thermometer is that we're using. So I personally use the temp drop thermometer, which I love because it really filters out a lot of the noise that can happen with the different variations. So with that, it's it's something that you wear on your arm and it's measuring your temp throughout the night. So it gives you your like lowest sleeping body temp instead of your early waking temp. So when people are using a thermometer like that, there hasn't been as many studies. So we don't know really like the levels of temps that are normal or not normal. If somebody is using a basal body thermometer, that's an oral one that goes in the mouth because we can also measure it vaginally. But if somebody's using an oral one, ideally, I like to see temps in the low 97s to low 98s in that follicular phase. Kind of like the average is mid 97s, I would say, in the luteal phase, somewhere in the upper 97s to mid 98s. But it's really about a person's pattern over time. It's about what other symptoms they're having, but it's something that I do think like I watch if somebody's using an oral one, cause it can key us into, is your body having some issues with its thyroid? Is there some inflammation going on? Is there something else that we need to pay attention to? And the, like the difference in the two phases, ideally I like to see a half to a whole degrees difference between that you know, follicular and luteal phase, but most like course education is different. How I teach is that there has to be at least a 0.2 degrees difference between the first and the second part, but ideally you're seeing more because that's showing us robust progesterone production. And we want right. to see that like beautiful, like yin yang balance of like low temps, which is reflective of estrogens and high temps, which is reflective of progesterones. We want to see that balance within our cycles. Right. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. And while we're on it anyway, so you said your favorite BBT is temp drop. Temp drop is my favorite. I've used like when I first learned, I learned with an oral one and at the time I used to have a lot of issues, I think probably related to just some like 
different like gut dysbiosis and stuff that I hadn't healed and figured out yet. But I had a lot of insomnia and a lot of anxiety and my insomnia made it really challenging to use an oral basal body thermometer and to use fertility awareness. I still did it. I still made it work and I believe people can still make it work, but I really like TempDrop because it has a unique algorithm that is based on your own body, your own cycle. And so it basically filters out the noise. So it was specifically designed by a man for his wife who was in the postpartum breastfeeding period. So a lot of irregular sleep, awake a lot through the night, co-sleeping with kids. And he wanted her to be able to use the symptothermal method effectively. So he designed this device and an algorithm that you wear high up on your arm at night. And it helps to kind of like correct for some of the things that commonly we see basal body temps affected by like poor sleep, not getting enough sleep, uh, co-sleeping, having other people beside you. I would say even like my temps used to get affected a lot more. Like if I have something to drink and I don't, I still might see a little bit of that, but not as much. So it really just kind of helps you pick out those patterns a little bit more easily. It is more expensive up front than another, than a lot of the basal body thermometers, but I feel like it's worth every single penny. Yeah. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And I feel like every, like all of my clients that have it, I don't know anyone that's gotten it that isn't, that isn't a fan of it. So like that's hands down what I recommend. You can get um, 12% off if you use my code MW3377. But it's like my favorite fertility awareness. I actually have the temp drop and I have the daisy. And I, yeah, I love temp drop. I, I know the founders of it, awesome people. And I just had you know, I have no issue at all with the technology or the algorithm. For me, it was just a matter of having something on me. I was like really trying to get used to it. And, you know, just talking to you about this does make me want to take it out of did my drawer and try it. Did you try the newer band? Because I did no. not love the first band they have. And they have a new one that is like, so- it's like wider. So it doesn't squeeze your arm as much. I know. I it's saw. also softer and kind of like a bra strap almost. And I feel like that changed its comfort for me That's personally. That's a game changer. I did see that they changed that. Also, Etsy sells some really cute ones that were like, you know, it's kind of like very similar textile and very similar fit as to their newer updated one. And so you can just drop the detachable you know, little tracker device into it. Yeah. So I, d- I just yeah. need to do it. I mean, I've been eyeing them forever and I don't know. It's like, I'm always like on Etsy looking at it and then something else comes up and then I just hop off altogether. But I do, I want to give it another shot. So I'm glad that you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> band because I bought the, Etsy, like one of the Etsy ones and I <laughs> didn't like it as much as I like the new Temp Drop band. And I think it's like 30 bucks. And, and oh, it actually amazing. is just the band that comes with all of the new Temp Drops now. So <gasps> anybody on their website right, right now, now it just gets them. Yay. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Ne- on to the yeah. next <laughs> cervical, <laughs> cervical mucus. Yeah. So our cervical mucus or cervical fluid, this is literally a substance that is made by our cervix in response to our hormones. So it's a hydrogel. It's made of 90 to 98% water and mucin. So if you think of like mucin, like boogers, mucus, 
Like that's what gives it its stretch when we have high estrogen amounts. So in times in our cycle, when we are moving into fertility and we have really high estrogen amounts, those are the times that I think feel really clear to people of knowing that that is when you have that like really stretchy, clear, watery, egg white cervical fluid. Those are our high fertility times. And when ovulation is likely approaching as our estrogen hits those peak amounts that trigger our brain to release LH. And I think the other times in the cycle, those are times that I think there's a lot of methods that will teach that you go from dry to sticky to creamy to egg white and then back to dry. And I think that is how a lot of people's bodies look. And I think that One of the strengths of how, again, like I teach rules based on Sarah Bly, who owns the well, but I think one of the things that I love and appreciate about her method is it really holds space for the fact that we all are unique as humans and our bodies look different. Our infertile times may not all look the same and coming in and out of our fertile windows might not always look the same. Mm -hmm. Those high times of fertility, they're going to look the same for all of us. So it's going to be either like egg white is what a lot of people talk about, though I would say a lot of women don't have that egg white fluid. A lot of people would just have that like watery, clear, drippy, feeling like you peed your pants type of fluid. Mm -hmm. That's our like Mm -hmm. super fertile time. But really kind of how I think, and you had asked like how it's different method to method. And again, I think that's why it's helpful to just be like, I'm going to pick a method that works for my body. That's what I'm going to study. That's what I'm sticking to. So how I teach it is that we have these infertile times in our cycle. So in those infertile times, that is when a lot of times, again, that gets taught as dry, like quote unquote dry. Mm-hmm. Our vaginas never, never fully dry. And so yeah. I think for some people that can be confusing because our vagina is a mucous membrane, just like the inside of our mouth, the inside of our nose. So those infertile times is really like what I like to think of as like the lowest common denominator, the least amount of discharge or something coming from your vagina you can see. So for some women, that will be no cervical fluid and a dry sensation when they wipe over the opening of the vagina. But for other people, that could be more of like a sticky or a tacky sensation and like some of like a little bit of like crumbly discharge. So really it's like getting familiar with your body, understanding what your body looks like when it's infertile. So typically we have our period and then we'll have zero to nine days, depending on our unique cycle of this like baseline infertile time. And that is like when you have day to day, you see the same thing. So again, that could be dry, that could be sticky, that could be some like crumbly like white discharge but that is unique to every body and I feel like a lot of the a lot of the methods out there don't really speak to that well and that's something that I think can be like confusing or really frustrating for people so I think it's like really about like getting clear on your body's baseline what is the least amount you see when do you see that And then we'll go into a period where we start to have things changing on a day-to-day basis where you start to see more fluids. So for some people that might look like 
creamy, milky for other people that can look like more cloudy or a change to that. So really understanding that like when you go from this baseline unchanging pattern and then all of a sudden you start to see changing, that is when your fertility is starting. That's when your fertility is coming in. And then we ultimately progress to that really clear, egg white, slippery, lubricative, all of those things. And that's when ovulation comes in. And then after ovulation, that is when people are going to go back into their infertile time. So that could be dry, that could be that crumbly, sticky, tacky, however that looks. But I think really the key thing is knowing that in that time when we are fertile, we're making that more fertile mucus, our body can keep sperm alive for up to five days. So once you start seeing your fluids change, once they're looking different, once you're having that more like, however that change looks for your body, which is going to be different for everybody, because some people will go dry, then creamy, milky. So once you start the creamy, milky, knowing that you're fertile, so you need to start making choices based on if you want to be pregnant or not, or if you're somebody that is maybe sticky, tacky, and then your change goes into more of like, a cloudy, like increased amounts, like that's still your change. You are now fertile. So then making choices accordingly. And then we have to wait to see our cervical fluid change. So the way I teach is that we need to see a clear change and less fertile fluids for four days. Plus we need to see three temperatures that are higher than they were before to confirm ovulation. So you want to wait in the time once you see that you're fertile until you've confirmed ovulation to close that window. Cause I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I had egg white fluids. And then now today I have nothing. So now I don't have to worry about it. But based on the studies, they all show that really like it's the four days after we see that. And we're seeing the temps go up that then that's when there's no pregnancy occurring. So all the rules are different. Some rules will teach you three days of cervical fluid that has decreased in its fertile appearance. Other rules teach you four days. The like method that I teach is more conservative because if people don't want to get pregnant, I want them to be safe in their choices. I love, yeah, and I, I agree 100% wholeheartedly. I think it's really awesome that you don't, look at it from such like a, a yes or no, like black and white extreme way, you know, where it's like you, every single person, every single body must experience this type of mucus, this type of cervical position at each phase, you know, it's like just noticing what your unique changes are and noticing that for a handful of months, you know, maybe it takes three cycles for one person, four cycles for another to really get a grip of like what it is for you specifically, and then taking note of that. And again, going back to like, then it's just a first language for you. You just, you understand what your unique body is. And yeah, I wish, you know, I hopefully millions of people listen to this episode because (laughs) then they'll tell one person who tells another person that like, hey, you know, it's okay if your cervix sits lower and this person sits higher around ovulation. It's just everyone's so different. So learn how to 
track these certain things and keep note of all of them on a daily basis so you understand what your normal is, right? Like that's what it's all about. And for anyone who's like confused and maybe they're on the go listening to this, I will have corresponding show notes for this entire episode as well as links to Mona's work and, you know, PubMed articles, all the things. So if you would rather see it written out, do not worry, we got you. And also I just want to mention too, like for anyone who is a little, you know, skeptical of exactly where they're at, especially for the first few months of tracking, mm-hmm. I we always used a barrier method, my partner and I, and to be extra safe, you know. So even when I was like expecting like, oh, well, I think I already ovulated, you know, my temp has spiked for the last few days. I personally, like it was a personal choice to feel ultimately safe and secure, I still just used a barrier method. And then for anyone who's listened to Braxton and I's, we've had multiple podcast episodes together, but how we've really, you know, shifted our narrative of what sex is. Now, this is a side topic. So again, you can all go listen to that episode. But, you know, shifting, you know, what sex really is for me personally, the penetration is not my favorite thing. You know, sometimes it is, but most of the time it's really not. And I really prefer that external stimulation and that type of play really arouses me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we come to a balance, right, where it's it's a dance, it's a play. But that being said, you know, I, I found myself a partner who really respected my decisions for my own body. And I was like, okay, let's create a menu of all the things that makes us feel pleasure and aroused. And we realized that it was so many things, not just penetration, which were shown in movies and TV shows and were taught by all of our peers, right? That like, this is what sex is, right? And mm-hmm. when he ejaculates, that's it. So, you know, again, little side tangent there, but, you know, just do what feels good for you and speak up for yourself as well. Use condoms if you do really like penetration and, you know, you want to engage in that and you're still trying to figure out where you're at in your cycle. You're trying to learn the symptothermal method from an educator. Just wear condoms, you know, for a few months and I personally, like I can just say from my experience and anyone who I've worked with who's done this, it really, it seems like a bigger deal to wear condoms. Uh, I don't know who started that narrative, (laughs) but you know, there's that narrative that then sex just isn't good. It's not meaningful. And I say to that, it's what you Mm -hmm. make it, right? So, and if at the end of the day, you know, because I was realizing, I was like, it feels really good for like, you know, that time. And then right afterwards for the next like three days, I'm so anxious. (laughs) Or maybe it's like multiple weeks that you're so anxious and it just wasn't Mm -hmm. worth it for for me personally. So everyone has to weigh out those, you know, pros and cons, of course. Yeah. And I think, you know, those are like such good points. And I think it is like be, like it's becoming patient with your body, figuring out what works for you, having that really open communication with a partner. Because I would say, you know, at a minimum, it typically takes people three cycles because you're looking for those patterns over time in your body to see like, how does it look in your unique body? And I think if you're somebody that's coming off of the pill that it takes our brain and ovaries time to re-communicate and our cervix time to reproduce cervical fluid because when you're on hormonal birth control, it actually atrophies the cervix, which is like Mm -hmm. the cervical crypts, which is what makes the fluid. So it can take six to 12 months for that to become more clear. So really deciding like what, what is our risk level? Because when you start using barrier methods, I think are a great 
choice to pair with the fertility awareness method. And I think it's important for people to understand that if you're using something like condoms, withdrawal, spermicides, cervical caps, anything other than abstinence, when you're fertile, you're not relying on the fertility awareness method anymore. You're relying on whatever you choose. So for example, Mm -hmm. if you know you're in your fertile window and you choose to use condoms, then that's relying on the efficacy of condoms, which in perfect use is 98% effective. So super effective, but with typical use, condoms are only 82% effective. So I think it just is worth having an educator that really goes over what are the different choices? Like what is your risk tolerance? Let's design you a plan. Um, Emma McNichol and I teach a group program and really like in that work and in my personal work, I really go over like, what are all of your different methods? What is your risk tolerance? If there's a mistake, what can you do about it? Because plan B only works up until the point that you have ovulated. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it doesn't. So are you like, what's in your tool belt so that you feel empowered to make choices that feel good and safe in your body? Like, do you use something like Queen Anne's lace? Do like just making sure that people feel really clear ahead of time. Like if there's a mistake, like it says nothing about you, but how would you want to handle that? What would you want to do with that? And based on that, like, What feels safe for you and your partner? And how do you have those conversations with a partner when this is a new method to you? I think those are all super important things. And like you said, like sex isn't just penis and vagina penetration. There's so many other things it can be. So really opening up that world for people to explore as well. Totally, totally. And I love Emma. Emma connected Mona and I. So Soon enough, it'll be us three on a podcast episode talking about, yeah, Queen Anne's lace and all the other things that we still have yet to talk about. But Mona, thank you so much. I mean, this last hour has been so incredibly, so incredibly valuable and informational, and there's much more that we could talk about for sure. So, you know, we'll have to do a part two, but we'll... Oh, I guess, well, you did kind of go over cervical position, just how that is, that's different for everyone, right? And like, we need to... We didn't touch on that, but I could just say like briefly. So cervical positioning, the reason that it's optional is because most methods, so the method I teach, but most methods, you're just using rules to confirm ovulation with cervical fluid and basal body temperatures. So most of the time, that's where your rules come from. And then cervix positioning is an optional thing that you can use to confirm what you're seeing. And I would say like the main thing that I think is different. So For everybody, as estrogen comes in, as we get closer to ovulation, the cervix itself becomes more soft and more open. What I think is different and what's taught different is that in the infertile time, so when we're not fertile, our cervix either sits lower or for many of us, our wombs might be tilted. So it might sit more tilted in the vaginal canal to where you feel it more back or more forward. So when you're fertile, if you're somebody whose cervix sits in the middle of the vaginal canal, which is like midline, then you're going to feel it more high in the vaginal canal when you're fertile versus if you're somebody that has a tilted uterus, they usually feel it more straight, but might not feel it as high. And so I think that's like the difference that you might read. So I think of it as infertile 
is low or tilted. Fertile is high or more straight. And those are kind of like the key differences that you might read in different spaces. But that has to do with womb positioning and how a womb sits within somebody's body. Right. Yes. And can you just explain to people what like straight, how would they know if it's straight or not? So usually if you are like reaching in, so when you check your cervix, it literally is just reaching your finger in to the vaginal canal and reaching up and back. So I like to have people first start checking their cervixes after they've confirmed ovulation, because that's usually when it's going to, you're going to have the most days of infertile. So you can get really used to what that feels like as you move into the new cycle. But really it's like, you see that pattern over a month. So typically if you have like a midline, more straight cervix, as you reach in, it's just, is going to be like straight up in the vaginal canal versus if it's tilted, you might be like, Hmm, I don't think it's in there is what some people will say, or I don't feel it. But then as you start moving your finger more towards your pubic bone or more towards like your tailbone, then it'll be kind of like tucked back or a little bit more difficult to reach. And then as you get closer to ovulation, you'll notice that when you reach in, it just is right there. So that's kind of more what somebody that has a midline cervix would feel is it's like right in the middle. You don't have to do a lot of searching, hunting, feeling like towards your belly button or towards like your backbone. It just like is in the middle when you reach in. Beautiful. Understood. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, is there anything that you like really want to say before we conclude this? I know there are a few questions, um, but we did touch on most of them and I can include some of them in the blog post if you want to help me with that. I mean, people just ask like traveling and, you know, how these things, which we mentioned before, can really change your BBT and you know, a way around that maybe the the temp drop, for example, and its algorithm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think really like the main thing to me is like, again, like, research or find a person that you really trust to get the information from and stick with one method because that's where I see the most confusion and see people not feeling clear on what to do or making more mistakes and having undesired pregnancies or things like that is when they're trying to follow too many things and getting confused. So I would say like my main tip is like find one source, one person, one educator, whatever that is, and just like stick with those rules, trust what you pick and stick with it. Um, and I think, you know, for traveling tips, like I love temp trap. I travel a lot. I was in Colombia from like January through May. I travel a lot, but to me, it's like one, be really secure in what you're seeing. And anytime, whether you're traveling or you just had more stress or more things going on, like if you're not clear, if you ovulated or not, just act accordingly. Like just use, use the condoms, avoid penis and vagina sex, whatever that looks like. If you don't want to be pregnant, I think that's huge with travel. I, as much as possible, try to keep my same sleep schedule, but on a different time zone. So for example, Mm -hmm. I like to go to bed at 10. I generally wake up around seven. I try to keep that same schedule so that there's only a few days when I'm in a new time zone that my body has to kind of like deal and adjust with and just take really detailed notes on your chart and then still look to see a lot of people still will see really clear patterns in their cervical fluid and in their temps. But if you don't just know that like 
your body will figure it out. You will be able to identify ovulation and you can always make choices accordingly, but it's a learning process of learning what does affect your body and what doesn't. So when people are learning like a lot of notes so that you are clear on like, for me, if I have wine, that affects my temps. But if I have beer, that doesn't. If I'm really hot when I sleep, that affects my temps. But if I'm in different places or sleep different hours, that doesn't. So it's like getting really clear on your own body and your own patterns, which comes from taking notes and comes from just learning how how your body responds. For sure. And there's no finish line for this. It's forever a learning journey. And as we age, as we go through different parts of our life, if we decide to get pregnant and postpartum, all of these things, all of these phases of our life introduce a new part of who we are and our potential. And with that, everything else changes as well. So it's, you know, I remind myself this all the time as well, because I'm a stubborn Leo and I can get really frustrated when things just, you know, when I'm like, why do I still, you know, why are things changing? And sometimes I love it. Sometimes I don't like it. And I remind myself and I remind other people that no one's giving us a medal at the end of this, right? There's no like finish line for learning the symptothermal method or for learning your body and your cycle. It's just, it's a forever learning thing. And that gives you so much freedom and grace with it to just take your time getting to know yourself and, Not that you're never going to understand yourself because you're always learning, right? But like, it's just you're evolving and the way in which you see and view and feel within your own body is also going to evolve. So, so much beauty in in the method and, you know, in our bodies and the infradian rhythm and in this cycle. So thank you, Mona, for joining. I'm going to link up everything, including the show notes, in the little bio description of this podcast episode. Regardless, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you'll be able to check those out. We'll also include a 10% off for Mona and Emma's program to be able to adopt everything that we just talked about because I think everyone's biggest takeaway from this, aside from how incredible we are and how incredible our body is and how these symptoms tell us huge parts about what is going on, on so many different levels outside of just fertility but uh you know to really to take away that everyone's body is super different very unique and that there are some you know general guidelines and framework that we can all follow but at the end of the day you're very different than your friend and etc etc so to go through a program with Mona and Emma or whoever, whatever educator it is that you have chosen to really listen to can be incredibly beneficial, whether it's a one-time meeting, two times, like however much you need, it's it's worth it, right? So um, we'll include the 10% off for that as well amidst all of the other amazing links that we will have. So Mona, do you have anything else that you would like to say to the listeners before we stop for today? Yeah, I think like, Again, like would love to have anybody that feels like they would like more support, more confidence in the process of learning how to chart, how to use FAM. And I think just like the encouragement that our bodies are so wise, like it can feel scary to get off of birth control and it's worth every single little fear that you have because in the end, it really is just like strengthening that connection that we have with our body and our wiser being and our womb. So anybody that has questions, that has fears, concerns, reach out. I'm medicine with Mona on Instagram, Facebook. That's also my website, medicinewithmona.com. Uh, and Emma's wise womb mama 
time. So yeah, we'd love to connect with any of you, reach out with questions. Yeah, I'm excited for whoever is new to this journey and just whoever is wanting to deepen that and super grateful for you, Maddie, and all of the wisdom and beauty and goodness that you bring to the community. Thank you so much. What a lovely way to end that. Thank you, Mona. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, peace, love, hormones. Hi, love bugs. Thank you so much with all of my heart for tuning in to another Peace, Love, Hormones podcast episode. If you feel inclined to do so, please give us a rating and even leave a comment review would be so helpful or sharing on Instagram or sending me a message, any of the above. I love it all and appreciate every single one of you. And don't forget to use code podcast, all lowercase podcast on your order of Soothe or any of the items available for purchase on the Peace, Love, Hormones website. And also don't forget to sign up for text and email reminders. Much love, Maddie. Thank you.